Listen to this story. A battleship had been at sea on routine maneuvers when it encountered heavy weather. The captain, who was worried about the deteriorating weather conditions, stayed on the bridge. A lookout on the bridge suddenly shouted, Captain, a light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it stationary or moving astern, the captain asked. The lookout reported that it was stationary. This meant that the battleship was on a dangerous collision course with another ship. The captain immediately ordered his signalmen to signal the ship. We are on a collision course. I advise you to change your course 20 degrees east. Back came a response. You change your course 20 degrees west. Agitated by the arrogance of the response, the captain told his signalman to send out another message. I am a captain. Change your course 20 degrees east. Back came the second response. I am a seaman second class. Change your course 20 degrees west. The captain was furious by this time. He shouted to the signalman to send one final message. Change your course 20 degrees west. I am a battleship. Back came the flashing response. Change your course 20 degrees west. I am a lighthouse. <laughs> Today we're going to look at a topic that affects every single one of us. A topic that, if ignored, can lead to shipwreck in our lives. Today, as we continue our Bible study in the book of Daniel, we're going to look at a story about pride and humility. It's found in Daniel chapter 4, and if you've got one of the Bibles that we've provided, this is going to be on page 9, I'm sorry, 724. And I want us to do this. I want us to actually look at the story backwards this morning. So we're going to begin with the last verse in chapter 4. And it says this. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. Today we're going to take our last look at King Nebuchadnezzar. And this statement that he makes is really the summary of everything that happens in chapter 4. Now how God feels about pride and how God feels about proud people is a theme that runs throughout the Bible. Here's some example of Bible verses that tell us what God thinks about pride. Here's one from the book of Proverbs. The Lord detests. That's a pretty strong word, wouldn't you say? The word detest all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. And this verse from the book of Psalms says this. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, him will I not endure. And this verse from 1 Peter in the New Testament. All of you, who would that include? Yeah, I just want to make sure we're together on this. Yeah, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because, such an important reason, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Here's a definition of pride from Christian author Gary Collins. He says, pride is characterized by an exaggerated desire to win the notice or praise of others. It is an arrogant, haughty estimation of oneself in relation to others. It involves the taking of a superior position that largely discounts the concerns, opinions, and desires of other people. And notice this last statement. He says, in essence, it is an attempt to claim for oneself the glory that rightly belongs to God. In the years that I've been a pastor, I've had people come to me with all kinds of issues. Pastor, can you help me with my anxiety? Pastor, can you help me with managing my anger? Pastor, can you help me with depression? Can you help me with my marriage? Can you help me with my kids? 
But in all the years that I've been a pastor, I don't think I've ever had anybody come to me and say this, Pastor Dudley, could you please help me because I have a problem with pride. Think about this. The next time you go into a bookstore or try to order a book online, look for titles that deal with developing more humility. I've never seen a book titled Humility for Dummies. It seems that in our American culture, pride is often considered more of an asset than a liability. So why does God make such a big deal about pride? Well, I want to point out two reasons, and the first is this, and this is on your outline. Pride is a barrier to having a close relationship with God. And this is so true. Pride is a barrier to having a close relationship with God. You know, here at our church, we often talk about the bad news and the good news. And the bad news is this, we're sinners and we need a Savior. Now, what gets in the way of people actually believing that? I mean, you can tell somebody, you know, you're born with a heart that has a problem. Your heart pulls you away from God's purpose and God's plan for your life. And because you're a sinner, as we all are, you're separated from a holy God. Because God is just, he has to punish every sin you ever committed. And here's the thing, you can't do anything to save yourself. You cannot restore your relationship with God. Now, what is it that makes it hard to hear that? Pride. Because we want to be able to do something to earn our salvation. We want to do something that would help us be right with God, but God says, no, you can't do a single thing. It takes humility to really accept that and to accept the good news that there is a God who made you and a God who loves you. And the Bible talks about this God that we worship. He's one God who exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so the story of the gospel, the good news, is that God the Father sends God the Son, Jesus, to earth. And in the person of Jesus Christ, he lives out what we could never do. He lives a perfect life and that qualifies him uniquely to die in our place. And that's what happens on the cross. On the cross, God's willing to put our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. The death that we deserve, Jesus dies for us. And then God raises him to life and Jesus says, here's the deal. I want to restore your relationship with God. I want you to know the purpose that God has for your life. But it takes humility to follow me because you're no longer calling the shots. I am. That's what it means to say that Jesus is Savior and Lord. It's almost like we, we hang a sign around our neck that says, under new management. So it takes humility to become a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why pride is a big deal. And here's the second reason that pride is a big deal to God. It's for this reason. Because pride is a barrier to having close relationships with other people. Anybody here ever have conflict in your relationships with anybody? Am I the only one? What, what, is, what is going on? What is the root cause of conflicts in relationships? It's a word that starts with a P. We're talking about it this morning. What do you think it is? Yeah, pride. I mean, what causes us to be critical or judgmental? It really is pride. What causes you and me to be selfish? What is it, church? It's pride. What, what makes it hard to forgive people who hurt us? Yeah, you have hurt my pride, so I'm not going to forgive you. I'm going to get even. Or what about this? Let's say that a couple is really struggling in their marriage, a husband and a wife. What makes it hard for them to seek help? Pride. So here's the bottom line. Pride is the greatest barrier to loving God and to loving people, which is exactly the way that God calls us to live. So pride is a really big deal. And I want us to see that in this story about King Nebuchadnezzar. So let's look at chapter four, beginning with verse four says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. 
Now, if you've been following our tour through the book of Daniel, you've, uh, you've seen that King Nebuchadnezzar has these really unsettling dreams, and he's had another. Now, this is how the story continues in verse 6. So, I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. Once again, it's Daniel to the rescue. That Daniel is going to interpret the dream, which reveals how God is going to deal with the king's pride problem. But I want you to do this. Look ahead, if you've got your Bible open, look at verse 29 so that we can understand the setting for the story. It says this, 12 months later, that's 12 months after the dream, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And you can always, almost hear the king doing this, right? Patting himself on the back. King Nebuchadnezzar was, was quite impressed with himself. And the fact was that he had an unparalleled record of achievement in the ancient world. How many of you have ever heard about the seven wonders of the ancient world? One of them was the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. And this is something that the king was responsible for personally. One of his wives missed the Hanging Gardens of the nation where she was from. And so he had this elaborate Hanging Gardens constructed. And from the roof of his palace, he could actually see the city. And there was this wall that went around the perimeter. It was a 56-mile-long wall. And historians tell us that the wall was so thick that you could take a four-horse chariot and turn it around on the top of that wall. And so here's Nebuchadnezzar. This is his city. It is his pride, his joy. Verse 4 says, I was at home at my palace, contented and prosperous. The king had achieved what we would call the good life. He could have done a beer commercial from his palace and said, hey, it doesn't get any better than this. Now let me ask you this. Do you think that Nebuchadnezzar thought he had a problem with pride? No. Do you think God thought that Nebuchadnezzar had a problem with pride? Yeah, absolutely. And God is going to take the king on a very long and a very painful journey. And in that journey, the king will discover that he is in a battle for his life because he is in a battle for his soul. As Jesus so clearly pointed out, what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world? and lose their own soul. So I want to offer some observations from this story and some questions that will help us understand why pride is such a big deal. And here is the first observation from the story. Daniel takes a risk of pointing out the king's pride. Takes the risk of pointing out the king's pride. Now this is a really gutsy thing to do. Look at verse 18. It says this. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now Belteshazzar, which is Daniel's name, when he was taken captive into Babylon, they gave him a new name. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Now, what does the king want Daniel to tell him? The truth. The whole truth, nothing but the truth. Daniel, don't sugarcoat it. Tell me like it is, and Daniel does. And in the end, that's what saves the king. He's willing to come to terms with the truth. Now, notice Daniel's response when the king wants the truth. This is in verse 19. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, 
if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Obviously what Daniel has to share is some bad news. Now look at verse 20. This is a description of the, of the dream. The tree you saw, this is the tree that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream, which grew large and strong with its, touch, touch, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air. You, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Now the dream gets a little more interesting. This is verse 23. You, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. And now Daniel is going to tell the king what the dream means. Verse 24, this is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my lord the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that when your kingdom, means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Now Nebuchadnezzar must have been stunned by these words. The fact is that he never would have heard them unless Daniel had courageously taken the risk of pointing out the king's what? His pride. So here's the question, it's on your outline. Do you have anyone in your life who's willing to point out your pride? Here's one of the classic problems of pride. The people who are most affected by it are the ones who tend to be the most blind to it. How many of you have ever um, taught someone to drive? Okay, I see some parents with their hands up. Yeah, I taught all my teenagers how to drive. And, and there's a, a thing that you warn them about. It's called a blind spot, right? There, there are times when you look in your mirror and you can't see another car, so you could try to change lanes and actually hit somebody. So here's the deal. If you're sitting in the passenger seat and you look in the side view mirror, can you see a vehicle that the driver can't? Yeah, because you don't have that same blind spot. And so when it comes to pride, it's good to have somebody close to you, somebody next to you who can point out what you cannot see often about yourself because we all have a what? We have a blind spot. And let me say this, if you're thinking right now, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this message, can I humbly tell you, this message is for you. <laughs> and let me be quick to add, this message is for me. Because pride comes with a what? Comes with a blind spot. It's like the pastor who was talking to his wife. This is not autobiographical. Pastor was talking to his wife and said that he had an awesome message on pride, but he was waiting to preach it until he had a big enough crowd. Pride comes with what? A blind spot. Now, I think that we'll see that even more clearly as we explore this next observation from the story, which is that God interrupts the king's life in order to deal with his pride. God is going to interrupt King Nebuchadnezzar's life 
He's going to drive him away from everything familiar, from his friends, from his family. God is going to interrupt his life in order to teach him the lesson of a lifetime. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar says at the end of the story. We already saw it. It's the end of chapter four. God is able to humble those who walk in what? Who walk in pride. God is able to humble everyone who walks in pride. And church, listen carefully. What God did to the king, he often does to us. He interrupts our lives so that he can teach us things that we desperately need to know. And sometimes that interruption might be an injury. It might be an illness. It could be a financial setback. It could be losing your job or losing your business or losing a relationship or losing somebody you love. And when that happens, we often say, why is this happening to me? Sometimes we are sorry for ourselves. Sometimes we get angry and we get frustrated. But I believe that what God wants us to do when he interrupts our life is to say this, God, what do you want me to learn from this? What do you want me to know about you? What do you want me to know about me? God, what do you want me to know about your purpose for my life? Recently, God interrupted my life when I had surgery on my arm. I mentioned earlier that I was playing soccer in Honduras with the kids there and, and damaged my arm. And on Monday of this past week, I saw the doctor following surgery and discovered that I have nerve damage in my right arm that has resulted in significant paralysis of my right hand. And so when I got that news, I began to pray and began to hope that with time and with the right treatment, I can regain the use of my hand. And as I was praying, I, I said, God, what do you want me to learn from this? What do you want to teach me? And one thought that immediately came to mind is this. God is in control. God is sovereign. In fact, that is the theme of the whole book of Daniel, that God is God and we are not. And that's what God wanted Nebuchadnezzar to know. King, I'm the most high God. I put people on their thrones and I take them off of their thrones. But it was more than, than God just asserting his sovereignty. God wanted Nebuchadnezzar to know this. I'm not just the God who's in charge. I'm the God who cares about you. Because think about it. God could have ignored King Nebuchadnezzar. He could have let him pursue the self-destructive path of pride, but God did not. God interrupted his life because he cared about the king. And friends, that is true for you and true for me. On Friday morning, I was getting ready to go to a physical therapy appointment and it was taking me much longer to get ready because I was only using my left hand. And while I was working on my ambidextrous skills, there was a verse of scripture that came to my mind. And I just want to encourage you to, to learn Bible verses because God does communicate with us through his word. And there was a verse that I'd memorized years ago, and I, I memorized this verse to help me deal with anxiety. And while I was getting ready, this verse from Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, just came immediately into my mind where God says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And in that moment, I realized that God was talking to me. And it felt like he was saying, Dudley, look, I know your right hand doesn't work right now, but mine still does. 
My hand is powerful. My hand is strong. So don't worry. I got you, and I got this situation right in the palm of my hand. And this week, as I've been asking the question, God, what do you want me to learn? There's something else that God has been teaching me, and it's this. When life is interrupted, when adversity pours into our lives, God wants us to be on the lookout for opportunities to point people to Jesus. And I had such an amazing experience. It was on the 23rd of October, um, a Monday, that I went to the hospital for surgery. And I was in the room, my wife Chris was there, and different medical personnel were coming into the room. There was the surgeon and the anesthesiologist and the phlebotomist and several nurses. And everybody asked me the same question. So, what happened to your arm? And it was almost like God was saying, hey, here's your chance. Tell them the story. Tell them about the kids in Honduras. Tell them about the ministry of CIN. So that's exactly what I did, that there are people who love these kids in the name of Jesus and are giving them a hope and a future. And it was an amazing thing. There were all these people in my hospital room, and I was telling them about, about God and how he cares for these kids. And, and what was so interesting is one of the nurses said, well, you know, I've always wanted to start an orphanage. And somebody else said, what was the name of that church and where is it and when are your services? And, and I thought to myself, you know, God, this is really something. Because if I hadn't injured my arm, I wouldn't even be having these conversations. And it was a reminder that God always has a purpose for our pain. And I want to encourage you, church, when God interrupts your life, and he will, and maybe right now you're in a, a season where life is interrupted, Remember that God is in control. Remember that God cares about you. And be on the lookout for ways to point people to Jesus. Well, let me share one more observation from this story, and this also is on your outline. God judges the king because of his treatment of the oppressed. And this is a really important facet of this story. Look at verse 27. It says this, Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Now, Daniel is talking to the king, and I tell you, I am just blown away by, blown away by his audacity because this is unsolicited advice. He says, King, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Now, Daniel is really getting quite personal. He's messing with the king's economic policy and how the king is spending his money. In essence, he's saying, hey, king, how much longer are you going to bankroll things like this hanging gardens project while the poor in your kingdom are hungry and oppressed? And here's, here's one of the things that we see in Scripture when it comes to what really makes God angry, what really ticks God off. It's the mistreatment of people who don't have the resources to protect themselves or care for themselves or defend themselves. There are three groups of people in Scripture that God is particularly concerned about, widows and orphans and aliens. And so there's a question on your outline. Take a look at it. How do you treat unimportant people? Because in this world, many people are considered unimportant. But church, it doesn't matter if that person is outside our church family or inside our church family. They matter to God. And because that person matters to God, they should matter to us. And I'll tell you this, every single person that comes through the doors of this church should understand that this is a place where they will be accepted and loved, where they can feel valuable and important, 
because they matter to God. I mean, think about this. The Bible says that we are the family of God, and in God's family, everybody is a son, everybody is a daughter, everybody is important. Or how about this, this beautiful analogy that says the church is the body of Christ, the body of Christ. I was thinking about that this week because the main idea there is that just as the parts of your body need each other, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we what? We need each other. I was actually looking at this passage in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says this, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Let me ask you this. How many of you looked in the mirror this morning before you came to church? With your eye, you looked in the mirror. How many of you made some adjustments to your appearance before you came to church? For those with your hands up, thank you. <laughs> See, you can't look in the mirror with your eye and say, hand, I don't need you. You need your hands to make some changes in your appearance. Look at the next statement. The hand cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. How many of you got out of bed and came to church this morning? Well, if you're here, you, obviously you're in that group, right? Well, that's because your head said, hey, feet, we're going to church today, right? The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. The, can't, the head can't come to church by itself. The whole body's got to come. So the parts of the body need each other, and notice how it continues. Let me just go back for a second here. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are what? Yeah, indispensable. Every part of the body is necessary. And notice this, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. Here's the reason. So that there should be no division in the body. What causes division in the body? When some parts think they're more important, more valuable, right? But that's not the case. That there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have, and notice this, phrase, equal concern for each other. And I love what Paul says here, the Apostle Paul who wrote these verses. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Anybody here ever stay up all night because you had some pain in your body? Did the rest of the body stay up? Exactly, because if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each of you is a part of it. You've heard me say this before. The local church is the hope of the hope of the world because of its message and because of its some of you know. Yes, you're yes, because of its message and its people. People who are humble. People who build bridges instead of walls. And what exactly is humility? Because there's a lot of confusion, even in Christian circles, about humility. Is humility being a doormat and letting people walk all over you? Because I've heard that teaching. Is humility looking at other people and saying, so everybody's more valuable than I am. Everybody's more gifted than I am. Is that true? No, that is not biblical humility. Let me read this definition of humility. I think it's so helpful. It says this. Humility is characterized by accurate self-appraisal responsiveness to the opinions of others and a willingness to give praise to others before claiming it for oneself. The humble person accepts his or her imperfections, sins, and failures, but also, also acknowledges the gifts, abilities, and achievements that have come from God. And notice this, humility involves a grateful dependence on God and a realistic appraisal of both our strengths and our weaknesses. Now, who is the most humble person who has ever lived on the face of this earth? Good, 
Good. Jesus Christ, perfectly humble. Now, let me ask you this. When it was time for Jesus to go to the cross, because that's what we're going to celebrate, that Jesus laid down his life for us, when it was time to go to the cross, did Jesus say, hey, I got this. I can handle this. I'm the son of God. Not what he did, is it? He called his three closest friends and said, hey, guys, my heart's breaking. Will you pray with me? He called out to his father in heaven and said, listen, father, if there's any way, can this cup of suffering pass from me? Jesus acknowledged his, his need of his friends and his need of his father in heaven. So let me ask you this. What is your attitude as you go through life? When you run into adversity, when God interrupts your life, do you say, I got this? I can handle this. Or do you say, God, I need you. And I need other people. And church, to be perfectly candid, I spent so many years of my life thinking, I got this. And God has since convinced me, no, you don't. You need me. And you need other people. And I still remember when I came to this realization that I cannot accomplish God's purpose for my life alone. And that's true for each one of us. We need each other and we need God. And friends, when Jesus came to our world, he had a dream. He had a dream of a community of people who loved God and who loved each other. People who understood that they needed God and needed each other. He had a dream of a community of people that were humble and reached out to others to build bridges instead of putting up walls. And so this morning, I want to challenge you to do this. And this is a takeaway from the message this morning. First of all, Make sure you have a Daniel in your life. Somebody that can point out your blind spots. Your selfishness, your pride, your critical spirit. Because we all need somebody like that in our lives. If you don't have somebody like that, pray that God would give you a friend like that. And secondly, be on the lookout for those times when God interrupts your life. And ask him what he wants you to learn. And then finally, be concerned about the people this world says are unimportant. Because, friends, everybody matters to God. And here's the, the last thing that I want you to know. What was true in the story about Nebuchadnezzar thousands of years ago is still true today. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful today for this truth that you give us that, that helps us understand our own hearts, helps us understand how to live in this world. And God, I pray that as we celebrate what Jesus has done for us, that you would help us to understand the humility that Christ has so that we can become more like him. God, I pray that in these next few moments that you would reveal your presence, that you would reveal your, your peace. Lord, that we would sense your power in our lives to change us for we pray in Christ's name, amen.